Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, Emerging Perspectives on People, Process, and Profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hello, Olivia here, and welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world, and with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. And today I'm very excited to have as my guest, Dr. Rapai, and we'll be discussing his work with marketing with archetypes. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Rapai. He is founder and CEO of Archetype Discoveries Worldwide. He's a global expert in archetypal marketing, creativity, and innovation. And his unique approach to marketing, and I love this, it combines a psychoanalyst depth of analysis with a businessman's attention to practical concerns. So we can, you can see why this appealed to me. The, he's the author of 14 books, including his bestseller, The Culture Code, which is available in 12 languages. He has a new book out called Move Up that is available in Spanish and should be available in English in just a few weeks. Dr. Rapai's techniques, Rapai's techniques for market research grew out of his work in the areas of psychology, social psychology, psychoanalysis, and cultural anthropology. So, Dr. Rapai, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, as many of my listeners know, I've worked in marketing for years using statistical models and advanced algorithms to predict buying behavior. And we often had access to historical data or demographics or even social media data that we used to characterize and segment a given population with the hope of finding our best potential customers or maybe our highest risk customers, something like that. So I know how powerful these methods can be, but they are limited by the data. And what I like about what you do is at Archetype Discoveries Worldwide, you look at very different sources of information. You state on your website that you use, quote, a unique blend of biology, cultural anthropology, and psychology to discover the hidden cultural forces that pre-organize the way people behave towards a product, service, or concept, unquote. So can you tell us about these hidden cultural forces and perhaps give a little history on how you discovered them? Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the first statement I want to make is that I don't believe what people say. <laughs> so I know it's a big challenge for people that quantify what people say, but I just don't believe what people say. Why? It's not that people lie, it's that they have no idea of why uh, they're doing uh, or prefer what they prefer what they're doing. So let me explain mm-hmm. how I came up with this kind of insight. Uh, sure. First of all, I start working with autistic children. And I was trying to help these kids to speak a language the way we do, which is usually hard for them. And I was trying to understand uh, how do you learn uh, for the first time a language? What is your first experience with a word? A word. And I was working in Switzerland, working with children trying to learn French, uh, uh, Italian, and, and uh, German, the three major languages of Switzerland. And then I realized, I made a serious little discoveries at the time, 
uh, I published it. Of course, nobody read my stuff at the time, but uh, <laughs> it, it's like the, the culture pre-organizes the way you're going to learn about everything that you need to learn about in your life. So the culture pre-organizes it. There is a, like a, a structure, and, and this is unconscious. And so I say, wow, this is interesting because first you have the experience pre-organized by the culture, and then there is a word coming as a label, if you want, that, uh, a label mm-hmm. on, on the experience. But first you have this experience before the language, before the word. And so that was fascinating for me, and I, you know, I, then I started looking at things as simple as coffee. I mean, if you know about Italian coffee and you compare that with American coffee, uh, obviously it's not the same. You know, mm. I drink coffee all day because I'm an American today and I'm, you know, liters of coffee. If it was Italian <laughs> coffee, I would be dead at the end of the day. You know, you can't, <laughs> you can't survive that stuff. So there is obviously the same word, coffee, but actually what, what it means, the unconscious structure is very different. And so, um, you know, I... I was explaining that at my university, uh, uh, my student, and, and, and one day um, I explained that the first imprint of something is very key to understand what I call the reference system that is imprinted at a very early age in, in your mind, and this is becoming unconscious. And, and so one of my students invited his father to come to my lecture, and he said, you know, could you help us to understand uh, what means coffee in Japan? Oh, in mm. Japan? Yeah, yeah, because we tried to convince the Japanese to switch from tea to coffee, which was obviously a mistake, but that was like 40 years ago. So, you know, because, <laughs> you know, the, the emotional involvement in tea is so important that they cannot move to. Now, then, you know, I opened my first office in, in, in Japan, and then since I never stopped doing that. And to give you an example with coffee, one of my clients uh, was Folger, Folger Coffee. Mm. And what I do is that I take people back uh, I suppose you are American and you were born in America, correct? Right. Yes. Uh-huh. So I know when you first imprint coffee. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Probably one day old. <laughs> right. You were two year old, two year old, around, oh. two, around two. And oh. when we do this kind of work, we take people back to their very first experience, the very first time they remember uh, what means coffee and the imprinting of coffee. And then this is anonymous, which is very different from focus group or other thing because people are in front of you looking at you. Here, this is completely anonymous, and I can explain how we do that. And then we take them back, and then we look at the pattern and repetition between all the, the population. And what we found about coffee in America is that the first time you imprint coffee is when you are two-year-old. So when mm. already this is a lot of information there. When you are two, you don't drink coffee. Uh-uh. Right. So the first imprint of coffee is not the taste. Forget about the taste. So what mm. do you imprint first? You print the aroma. Mm. Aroma. Right. Aroma is so strong in American culture. It's incredible. Why? Because the reference system, when you smell coffee for the first time, what is the connection you make in your mind, the mental connection? Oh, mother oh. is preparing mm-hmm. breakfast. Okay. She's in the kitchen. Uh, she's going to feed me. She loves me. I'm happy. I'm home. I'm safe. I mean, all that is incredible. That's so is that I'm... why everyone loves the smell of coffee, pretty much? <laughs> so that, you know, so that, then when you smell coffee, you have all that that comes back to your mind. And so we know, because we, mm-hmm. when you go to statistics, and you look at how many people love the aroma of coffee in America, a large majority, 90% of the Americans love the aroma. All right. Now you look at taste. Taste is imprinted later. When you're a teenager, under peer pressure, which is the best alibi to try everything in America, you try it. 
but mm-hmm. it's a quiet taste, which means you don't really like it. So you put milk, cream, sugar to try to hide the taste. And then if you go to statistics, only 40-something percent of uh, Americans uh, love the, the, the taste of coffee. So then which business are you in? Immediately is clear. You're not in the taste business. You are in the aroma business. Oh. Ooh. And then we position Folger coffee at the m- moment you wake up, is Folger in your cup, and the smell, the smell, the smell. I don't know if you remember this beautiful uh, uh, commercial that we did at the time. It's a young guy in a uniform coming back from the army. Mm. Why uniform? Uh, because home is safe, he's going back home, he's going to be safe, so we have to show the danger. Uniform means danger, outside. You're coming from outside where there is danger, and you're going home. You arrive home which is we know that in America, part of the collective unconscious is that we score when we go back home, like in baseball. Mm. Uh, baseball. So uh, we, we score when we go. So he's, he's scoring. He's back home. He's happy. Then mother is upstairs asleep. So he goes directly to the kitchen, open for the coffee, prepare the coffee. We never show him drinking coffee. No, 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 no. Then the aroma goes upstairs, and mother is sleeping. She opens an eye. She smells. She's like, <gasps> we know exactly the word she is going to say because uh. he's, he's home. She said, <gasps> he's home. She rushed down the stairs, hugged the boys. I mean, we tested that. That was owned by PNG at the time. PNG, they test everything 500 times. <laughs> People were crying. People were wow. crying. Say, hey, come on. This is just coffee. No, it's a, it's a lot more than coffee is reconnecting with a strong emotion that has been used to imprint for the first time what we're speaking about. And that's what I love about my business. It's a discovery. When I started working on coffee, I, didn't, I had no idea aroma was so powerful in the American culture. But, but once, once we discover that, boom, it makes so much sense. That bingo, this is a, So that's what we do. We don't believe what people say. We go back to the very first imprint you have of everything that is an element of your culture. Uh, and then so, we look at pattern and repetitions. And then once we understand, I call that the logic of emotion. This is an emotion. emotion. Right. But there is a logic that is very, very unique from one culture to another. So w- this backs up the idea that we mostly make decisions based on emotion, even though we're not aware of it. Is that well, true? You, 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 I, I believe in the three brands. It's, a, it's an old theory that goes back uh, many years, but... Uh, you know, I think that we, we have the reptilian dimension, which is survival, instinctive survival, uh, very mm-hmm. short-term response. And then we have the limbic, which is emotional. You know, I love you, I hate you, maybe both at the same time. And then there is the cortex, logical, rational, quantity, uh, vitamins, and things like that. So the, the three brands are active in every, any kind of decision. But my theory is the reptilian always wins. Mm. It doesn't okay. matter what is the cortex, what, is the, what are the numbers, the reptilian always wins. That's it. You know, so you can't help it. This is the way it is. That's why we, 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 we survive, you know, this, because we have this reptilian program to survive. You know, so I, I, is, so I, I, is that more even... Decision-making, I say, the, the, you know, how did I uh, uh, choose my wife? Uh, uh, how did I uh, get, end up married with my wife? The first time I saw her, I said, wow, I want this woman. Mm. That was an instinct reptilian. Why? I don't know why. I don't care. I just want her. Right. <laughs> so then, you know, I approach her, and she say, uh, not yet. Oh, we know all, I mean, women invented delay. Women invented delay, you know. <laughs> 
I, I need to know you better. Oh, I don't need to know you better. I, you know, I'm attracted. I want you. No, no. I need to know you better. So women invented love, delay, commitment, and all these things. All right. So, you know, she say, I, 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 I want to know you better. I say, fine. And I want you to love me. You say, okay, I love you. Okay. <laughs> she, she hates when I say that. But anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's like, if this is the way, to, the price to pay, I'm ready to pay the price. Then after that, I discovered she was rich. Oh, my God, my cortex was happy. My mother is going to be happy. You know, so, but but the, the order of priorities is first the reptilian. Now, why do women want delay? Because their reptilian is different from the men reptilian. Women know unconsciously, of course, that when they're going to get pregnant and deliver the baby, they're not going to be in a position to fight the lions that might attack them. Mm. So they want the guy to stay around there and fight and protect and defend now, the mm-hmm. motivation of the guy is he, he wants to, uh, a reptilian brain to have sex and, and go to another woman. He doesn't want to stay. So then if the price becomes commitment, then you have to stay, otherwise you cannot. Okay. So the, 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 the program is, is, well, is, is well done, which means that that's complementary. You know, then mm-hmm. in the, that's the connection that creates children. And, and then we know that children that are loved by their parents have more chance to survive. There's many research done on that and so on. So, but the priority mm-hmm. is the reptilian. I usually say, if you don't breathe, you cannot go to the opera. <laughs> which is so we are... to say there are some very strong biological priorities uh, that are sometimes we, we just forget about them. Yeah, so we're up on a break, and I just wanted to, before we go to break, just clarify. So you're saying that the base is the reptilian, and then after that is the limbic or emotions? Absolutely, or are they? yes, yes. Okay, all right. Well, so um, let's go to break now. My guest is Dr. Rapai, and we're talking about marketing archetypes, and I just wanted to let everyone know that he has a new book out called Move Up that will be available in a few weeks in English, and we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rudd. 
to reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, I'm Olivia, and I'm back with Dr. Rapai of Archetype Discoveries Worldwide. And you can learn more about Dr. Rapai's work at archetypediscoveriesworldwide.com. And before the break, we were talking about how Dr. Rapai started working with marketing archetypes, and uh, his work began with autistic children and learning how they actually learned, and and then going to the into his research into marketing and and how we have to understand the the base reasons why we make choices. And we were talking about the three branches, the reptilian branch, the limbic branch, and the cortex, and finally wrapping up with the difference between men and women, and especially when they, how you choose a wife that the woman would want support and safety if she's going to bear children. The man may be more hardwired to go on and look for another partner, but of course these are things we work out in society. And so um, what I'd love to talk about now are some of these cultural archetypes that you've discovered perhaps that you use for people who are marketing and talk about a little bit about why they're useful. Well, the culture is what I call a survival kit. A survival kit that you inherit at birth and that is helping you to survive in this environment at this special time. So understanding that the survival kit for Japanese is different from the survival kit for the Chinese or the Indian is very key because if you want to speak with them and resonate at an emotional level with them, you, you, you need to understand that. So uh, mm-hmm. let, let me give you a few examples of, of cultural uh, archetype and why they are very useful. Um, if you look a little bit at what is going on in the world today, um, you have the French, and Monsieur Hollande is the new president, the French president. Now, mm-hmm. part of the code of the French culture, one of the elements of the French culture is to think, to think. Mm. I think, therefore, I am. No, le penseur de Rodin, the thinker, uh, I think, therefore, I am. Not I do. No, no. No, you don't need to do anything. You just need to think. <laughs> So the French are excellent in terms of ideas. They have beautiful ideas. But then the culture tells you it's kind of vulgar to try to do something with it. Mm. So the result is this is a disaster. Everybody's leaving France. Nobody wants to stay there. Just, uh, and, and then when you do something, they punish you. Of course, because you're not supposed to do it. You see, part of the culture, unconscious, collective unconscious, is to say, uh, le rouge et le noir, uh, the, the, the black and the red. That's a very famous uh, novel by Stendhal. And that's what your destiny is. Uh, you, you should go to the, the red, the red, which is the army, or the black, which is the priest. So that's your choice, either to be a priest and you give your life to God, or a military guy and you give your life to the king. Uh, in between, there is nothing left. I mean, if you want to make money, oh, how vulgar is that? So, you know, in, in a culture like that, it's so different from the American. American, mm. you are only what you do. You know, the great yeah. American philosopher is Nike. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, just do it. Doesn't, so what are we going to do? It doesn't matter. Let's do it. I don't know, but mm. let's do it. Because ac- action <laughs> is salvation in America. You know, procrastination is a sin. If you don't do anything, oh, oh, then it cannot be good. But if you do something in the American culture, uh, th- that's salvation. Okay, you might make a mistake. Good. 
Why is good? Because you learn by making mistakes. Oh. Mm-hmm. So if you never make any mistakes, you don't learn anything. So you know, this is why we are, and I can say we because I choose to become an American and I really love the American culture, um, you always get a second chance and a second second chance and a third second chance and a fourth I mean, just amazing. You know, mm-hmm. In some other culture like Japan, uh, you don't make mistakes. Why? Because if you make a mistake, you kill yourself. You commit suicide. I mean, mistakes are not allowed. So that's why they spend so much time preparing, 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 preparing before they start moving. You know, Boeing is one of my great clients, and and I, I help them working on the seven eight seven. And for the seven eight uh, uh, the Dreamliner seven eight seven, they have like twenty four different cultures working on this plane. But wow. the two major one was in, in, you know American and Japanese. Uh, the Japanese making all the wings and and so and then okay. So I was in in Osaka uh, in a training program when I was explaining how the American think to the Japanese and how the <laughs> Japanese thinks to the American and say so you guys have to work as a team. So you have to understand that you have completely different perception of time or space or energy. You know American time is now. When, I, when I, I go to a hockey game, at the end, the referee blow the whistle and say, this is history. I say, oh, my God, it takes one second to make history in America. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in, right. in, in Japan, you know, if you remember during the, the, the last war, uh, some young kids wanted to be a kamikaze. They were going to kill themselves. And, mm-hmm. um, and the, the general said, well, the war is over. You don't need to kill yourself. Say, Can we do it anyway? Really? The notion of time is that you're doing that not just to do it, but you're doing that for your ancestors, you're doing mm-hmm. that for your descendants. The notion of time doesn't stop now. You see, so, oh, so this is a very different... So, uh, the, 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 which means they, they, they can be complementary. You know, the Japanese say, Americans can plan only the next weekend. <laughs> they cannot go further than that. You see, we, we invade a country in America. Do we have a plan to go out? No, not really, but let's go. Let's invade. Oh, oh, what's got, what's that? You see, <laughs> so uh, uh, th- this is very important to understand this notion because then when you understand, you become aware. You know, uh, in, in my company, ADW, we say uh, freedom through awareness. Freedom through awareness. I mean, you do whatever you want with your awareness, but I, I believe that you should be aware. And when you are aware, you have more freedom to, to make the, the right choices. So I'm not telling you one culture is better than the other. I'm telling you when you have to work together, and we do a lot of work on, on, on multicultural team right now, it's better to understand the different codes. How, how the, you know, what are the codes behind the words? Well, do you see people from the different teams learning from each other, maybe taking on the Japanese members of the team, taking on some of the American ideas and vice versa? Absolutely. You see, when we work on this relationship between American and Japanese, I started the program by saying, asking, uh, I said to the Japanese, you cannot speak. And now only the American can speak. All right. Tell me everything that is bad about the Japanese. Oh, we cannot do that. We, no, no, do it, do it. Please do it. Oh, no, no, we cannot. Please tell me everything that is bad. So we make a flip chart, a big list of everything that is bad. Then when we finish with that, we got a lot of you know, cliches, stereotypes, of course. Huh? And then after mm-hmm. that, say, okay, now next page, tell me what is good about the Japanese. Oh, okay. So then they start listing everything, you know, the quality. The, okay. Then I say, okay, American, now you shut up. And you don't say shut up because I'm sure not <laughs> that. You, you just don't say anything. And I yeah. say to the Japanese, now this is your turn. Tell me about 
everything that is bad about the American. Oh, no, we cannot say that. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, say no, it. Do so it, do polite. it. <laughs> do, do it, do it. Okay, so we get a little bit of that. And then I say, now, what is good about the American? Okay, all right. So they, uh, Then I stop, and then I look at the list of things about the Japanese, and then I ask the Japanese, what do you think about what is bad about you? And the Japanese say, oh, no, they didn't get it. We're, we're a lot worse than what they say. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, and they keep adding, 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 adding things. It's just amazing. So I say, okay, stop, stop now. Enough, enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I did the same with the American. Then after that, we say, as a team, now let's look at what is good from the Japanese and what is good for the American. How can we combine these elements? Always be aware of the negatives, but try to combine the positive side to be successful. You know, as a simple consequence, which is kind of obvious, you know, uh, short-term action should be always made by the American. Long-term planning should be made by the Japanese. And that's a very simple uh, you know, consequence of the combining the two positive sides. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really interesting. So um, do you have, so you talked about Boeing. Do you have any ideas about, so I, I'd like to go back to your example with the Folger coffee and the tea. And I know tea is, is a high tradition in Japan. Yeah. It's really part of their, um, their culture. Has there been any kind of breakthrough in, in getting people in Japan to drink coffee? Or is it they just really reject it because of their... No, 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 no. Preference? What we did in Japan, and I explained that in, in, in my book, the, the, the Culture Code, what we did in Japan was to say, okay, they, they, they need to have a first imprint of, of coffee. And, mm. uh, and the Japanese time, the notion of time is very slow. You need to establish contact, get to know people. It always takes time in, in, in Japan. You cannot do, you know, short time doesn't exist. It's always long time. And so we started with creating a dessert with a taste of coffee for children. So, <laughs> and so we started with uh, creating the first imprint of the taste and developing the taste of coffee. So it was a little dessert and it was ice cream and so on. Then little liquid, always without caffeine. And then after a while, we grow with the generation and we start going into coffee. And today you have a Starbucks everywhere and Nestle coffee everywhere. Interesting. Okay, so that. But I, I want again, to give an example about Boeing that you might find very interesting. You know, uh, yes, I, I, I don't believe what people say. So uh, wh- when you ask people uh, uh, what do they want in an airplane, and mm. you have questionnaires and statistics and everything, so what you get is people say, "Oh, in an airplane, I want more legroom. Uh, I want entertainment. Uh, you know, I, I, I want uh, good food, and I want good service." All right. So we try to make bigger plan and everything. But the reality, what they're not telling you because they're not even aware of it, huh? but the reality is nothing to do with that. The reality is what, when the same people have money, what do they do? They take a private jet. In mm. a private jet, you have no legroom, no food, no entertainment, and no service. Hmm. And they pay 10 times the price of a first-class ticket to have that. So what do they get in a private jet? What they really want is no airport. That's what they get in a private jet, no airport. Why? Because as we know, airport has been designed by mentally retarded engineers. (laughs) They are the worst place to be. I mean, it takes forever. You arrive in Atlanta and and your your plane just land, your your trip starts. You have to take a plane, (laughs) a bus, and and a train, and it's just amazing. So the, the, the luxury is no airport. 
which means that you go from the limousine to the private jet one step, one step, that's it. And so the more you add the steps, the less luxurious it, it becomes. By the way, I, I said that for many years, and I know that some companies now, like Lufthansa and others, um, they take you in a car uh, from the lounge to the plane for you not to have to go to the airport anymore. So that, that already uh, applied. But at the time, we have no idea that this is what, what's key here. You see, so um, all, all the, the notion that we're going to make fantastic lounge in airports, and I don't want any airport. I want mm-hmm. to go from my car to the plane right away. And that is not, not expressed. And so the statistics never will tell you that because we never ask the question. You know, wh- wh- what is key for me is what is the question to ask to find out what is the question to ask. Mm, right. Not easy. <laughs> But I believe <laughs> that the first imprint pre-organize what is really key for you. You know, one thing I want to share with you is what I call the logic of emotion, because I think it's very powerful. Uh, I did work for Chiquita Banana. Chiquita Banana. Yeah. Uh, why? Because banana is a very key uh, uh, ingredient in, in the mother-child relationship. And um, the, this is like the first solid food that the mother can mash and crush to give to the baby. So there is a very strong relationship between the mother and the child through banana. But one of the things we discovered at the time is the logic of emotion. And we studied that in Germany, in Italy, and in Sweden. And we discovered that what is a mother, a mother is very reptilian. We all come from a mother. We all spend nine months, around nine months inside of a mother. So this is very strong reptilian connection there. But what mm-hmm. is a mother is very different. Of course, the Italian mama, the Italian mother is almost a, a global architect. But what we found is All these mothers will tell me the same thing. They will tell me, yes, I want my children to grow. And I don't want them to grow. What? Mm. Yeah, I want them to be independent. And I don't want them to be independent. (laughs) I want them to leave home. And I don't want them to leave home. You see, that's what I call the logic of emotion. There is a tension. Both sides are true. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, you had a mother, I'm sure, and I had a mother. Mothers are like this. They want you to grow and they don't want you to grow. They say, oh, you're so cute when you're little. I want you to stay little. Of course I want you to grow up, but I don't want you to grow up. You know, it, it's just a, a, amazing, this, uh, this tension that we have. And so that's what is interesting in the of emotion is that it's never simple. So are there ways to market to children because, or I guess anyone, because we've all been children, but that's based on sort of that tension? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, the, you, you have to understand the, 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 the tension. You see, uh, it's something very reptilian. Uh, do you want pain? No, you don't want pain. <laughs> so do you want to be in a situation that, you, well, you will never, never feel pain, which is a disease, by the way. Mm. Well, no, you don't want that. Why? Because pain is a signal. So if you don't, if you don't feel pain, how do you know it's too hot? How do you right. know, you know, do you want to smell something that is smelled bad? No. But if you cannot smell bad food, you never know it's bad food, and you might eat it. So there is always this tension between pain and pleasure, which is very reptilian, if you want. That's the way we learn. So it's never good in marketing to say you're never going to experience pain, you know, because mm-hmm. you want to experience pain and pleasure at the same time. And that, that's part of the reality of the tension to survive. Do you have an example of a product, maybe, where you did that? Oh, yeah, yes, yes, for example, exercise. 
You know, mm. people love to exercise. So machines, I don't know if you go to the gym once in a while, but in America, mm. uh, gyms has been designed by the Marquis de Sade. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who don't know who the Marquis de Sade is. People sweating and suffering. And, and by the way, because part of the American culture is that we are exhibitionists, so they're usually at the street level with a big window like people passing by, they can see you <laughs> suffering. Exactly. You know, it's like the people jogging on the on the highway. They they don't want to jog alone in the forest. They want people to see them suffering. Right, and being so, acknowledged so is, for there it. There is this. So when we design these these gyms, we make them clear that this is to suffer and to be shown and exhibitions and you know you have to show big windows to make people see what is inside and 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 it is. It, it, it's very key, this notion of exhibitionism there. Now, you don't say it, because if you say it, people say, oh, no, not me, of course not, you know, just, mm. so, but you do it. Well, there's honor and suffering too, right? So that's yeah. something it, it, in the... It, you know, the sadomasochists know that, of course, but we're not supposed to say it. <laughs> and also, don't we sometimes get those messages from our mothers in certain cases yes. where, you know, I suffered to have you. Yes, so. yes, yes. Oh, All right. So, okay, I've got to yeah. grow up and suffer as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah and you see awesome. the, 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 the cortex people that go through this, this exercise, they say, oh, but you know, after a while, after suffering so much running, running, I get so excited, it creates some endorphin in my brain, and, and then I get the pleasure. Oh, fascinating. Well, believe it or not, we're up on our second break. And again, my guest is Dr. Rapai of Archetype Discoveries Worldwide. You can learn more about his, inf- his work at archetypediscoveriesworldwide.com. He's got a new book out, Move Up, which will be available in English in a few weeks. And we will be right back. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. 
Hi, welcome back. I'm here with my guest, Dr. Rapai of Archetype Marketing Worldwide Discoveries. Excuse me, Archetype Discoveries Worldwide. And before the break, we were talking about how there are drivers of behavior that have been used really effectively for marketing and product development and some of the different levels based on what we experienced as children and how different countries have cultures that create different results. And so I wanted to now invite you, Dr. Apai, to share about your new project and, and the reason for it. So you're, you're founding the Council on Culture Relations. Please yep. tell my listeners about that. Well, I've been working on, on marketing and selling uh, products and services around the world for 40 years. Uh, but I, I discovered that uh, the, the cultural archetype and cultural unconscious um, uh, could be used uh, with a higher purpose. Uh, I'm always concerned about the way uh, people don't understand each other or, or stay into stereotype and patterns, uh, sometimes going into fighting. And, and, you know. and so I, I believe that uh, each culture has a, a, a relationship with other cultures. You, you can't understand cannot understand the Japanese without understanding their relationship with the Chinese. You cannot understand the Korean without understanding their relationship with the Japanese. So uh, and the, we cannot understand the French without their, their relationship with the German. I mean, so the relation between culture is what shapes every culture. And unconsciously, people are, are, are going into uh, um, relationships that most, most of the time are very negative and fighting. Look what is happening right now between the Japanese and, and the Chinese. It's very frightening. Now, mm. I, I believe that we need uh, to create uh, uh, cultural, cultural med- mediators, uh, mediators, people that are mediators, that's going to mm-hmm. be in between, understanding both sides. People that are not Chinese, not Japanese, but understand the Japanese culture, understand uh, the Chinese culture, and help people to communicate, knowing the negative side, knowing the negative projection, but helping them to connect. Uh, Of course, this can have uh, business consequences. Of course, for example, I'm very concerned about Pfizer uh, being rejected by AstraZeneca in, in, in England. Uh, and obviously, uh, the, the, the perception that the, the, the British have of the American is that, oh, they are just arriving uh, uh, with their, all their money and power, and they're going to kill jobs. And, you know. So there, there is this cliche and stereotypes. You see, this is uh, mm-hmm. uh, American are too cortex in the way doing business. Uh, the, the, the British want to be seduced, send me flowers first. You know, oh, we're not going to do that. This is a, so the, the, there is a misunderstanding because there is not understanding of the other side, of the expectation of, of the other side. The same is happening with GE, which is one of my clients, in, in their tentative to, um, to buy Alstom in, in France. You know, and, mm. and, and so, the, the, uh, again, I, you know, I, I, I believe that they don't understand the connection, the, what, what is really happening, why the French are resisting the American. You know, the, all the French think they are the goal and they want to reject the American. I mean, this is just like classic thing. But on the other hand, um, w- 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 this is a D-Day, and, and D-Day is when American uh, liberated France. And, and there mm. is a very strong emotional attachment uh, you know, I, I was in Normandy um, for the 50th anniversary of, of the D-Day and then the 60th anniversary, and now it's 70th. 
and each time you can find an American flag. They all, all everybody buy the American flag, and, and I remember <laughs> seeing signs, you know, "Welcome to our liberators, we remember." Very touching. In every shop, every you know. So the, you have to understand that American love the French, uh, but they hate to love the French, and the French <laughs> love to hate the American. This is this is the connection between the two cultures. And so, so you know, we, we, we say that uh, the, the, when, when a good American die, uh, they go to France. <laughs> <laughs> well, we even had during the, uh, was it, we so, had the Freedom Fries for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but we have that. It's just, you know, so there, there is a, a, a heart and hate and love relationship that we have to understand. So if you try to be only cortex, only go to numbers, and, and mm. buy your connection with numbers and money, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, and and that's the misunderstanding with without without cultures. You know, the, the when people say, "Oh, the, the 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 Chinese have no interest in getting to war against Japan, and Japanese have no interest," I mean, this is not an interest situation. This is something else. There is a deep emotional involvement mm-hmm. that uh, is dangerous if we don't become aware of that. So, the purpose of the uh, Council on Cultural Relation is to become aware of this uh, uh, collective unconscious and how they can be triggered in the wrong direction or how can we move them in, in the right direction. You know, I, I think every culture has what we can call anima, uh, uh, the, the, the persona, and, 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 and the shadow, if you want. So Jung, mm-hmm. Carl Gustav Jung used to speak about the persona, which is a visible personality, and the shadow, which is like Dr. Jenkins and Mr. Idol. So right. every culture is something like that. And becoming aware of your shadow is a way to avoid the repetition of this shadow. So does the shadow relate to some of that, if, let's say your really early experience was quite traumatic or negative? Oh, yes. Absolutely, then, yes. Oh, yeah, you, would... see, you see, the, 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 if you look at what is going on in Europe right now, which is sometimes frightening, there is an incredible resurgence of uh, 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 fascist uh, uh, and, and racist parties uh, mm. all, of, all over Europe, right? And, and because time are difficult, if you remember in the late 30s, uh, uh, Hitler took advantage of a situation that was economically very difficult. Mm-hmm. So the situation is very difficult economically in most of part of, of, of Europe. And there is, again, the same, the same discourse, the same narrative, narrative mm-hmm. coming again again. We should be aware of that. There's, yeah. there's a strong uh, dimension of uh, 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 fascist and, 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 and racist uh, part of the culture in Germany, in France, in Spain. You have to remember Franco in Italy, Mussolini. And so this, is, this, is, this didn't disappear. It's still there. It's dormant. Mm-hmm. dormant. And we uh, have to be make clear that people become aware of that to avoid the repetition of something like that. So it sounds like because your background and you built... Your your knowledge and research around more business, how do you would have a, a large influence? Is there a way you can leverage that to maybe invite politicians into the conversation and and other thought leaders yes, in these countries? A, this, absolutely, this is what this is a little bit the purpose of the next my last book, Move Up. You know, it, Move Up is a, is a book that explain uh, why some cultures succeed and some cultures fail, why some nations succeed and some nations fail, and, and how you can combine. You know, it's a little bit like going worldwide, benchmarking the best solution. 
mm-hmm. what is the best solution for education? What is the best solution for uh, healthcare? What is the best solution? And you can pick up something from Sweden, something from Japan, something from you know, America, and so on. So the, the, in one of the uh, 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 endorsements we got for the book, one person says something like, uh, you, you just in, inherited of a country, and you are now the head of a big country. Uh, mm. What is the first thing you should do to make sure that your people are going to go to a, a better standard of living, having a better life, and being happier? And the answer is read, move up. Wow. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm sending this quote to Felipe number 6, which is a new uh, young king of Spain. Mm. And I hope he's going to read the book, and, and, uh, and, and we can help him to understand uh, the, the, the Spanish uh, uh, unconscious, the cultural uh, code of the Spanish culture, which sometimes is quite frightening. You know, so there, there is a dimension, you know, the, the, the hero in Spain is El Matador. El Matador mm. is the, the killer. And, and, you know, Federico García Lorca, the, the, the Spanish poet, say, a las cinco de la tarde, at, at five o'clock. Where do you go at five o'clock? Not like the British having tea. No, no, you go to the arena to see the killing of the bull. So wow. th- there is some element of the, of, the, of the Spanish culture which is very destructive in many ways. You know, the, uh, the soldiers during the, the civil war in, in Spain, they used to go to war and say, Viva la muerte, you know, which is uh, held to, to death. I mean, this, you, you, you go to fight and you say, uh, Viva la muerte is something strange here. You want to stay alive. You don't want to die. Mm. So because of that dimension, the Spanish culture can be very destructive. And that's why we becoming aware of that dimension is a way to avoid it and to, be, to look at the positive side of the culture and to enhance the, the positive side. So that, that's what the Council on, on, on Cultural Relations want to do, uh, to valorize the positive side of its culture and help culture to communicate, to relate to each other. And, you know, I, I believe in synergy. I, I believe that uh, um, when cultures get together and they understand the they can add the positive side of each culture, that they can, they can do great, great things and, and create a better life uh, for our children for the next generation. Wow, that's so beautiful. And it sounds like the exercise you did with Boeing, with the Japanese and the Americans, would yeah. be a valuable exercise for every culture. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Work with the UN or... or um, so I, I think about what you were saying about Japan, and I, I'm personally worried about North Korea. I mean, the yeah. leader is kind of like a child. Do you have any insights into what's driving him? Yeah, well, we see that the, the child cannot be understood without the parents. Mm. You know, again, the relationship, the space in between. My professor, Levi Strauss, used to say, a mother is not a woman. A mother is a space between a woman and a child. So if North Korea is a child, who is the mother? And, and how can we look at the space in between? Now, on the, looking at North Korea this way, then there is one mother side, which is China. Uh, you know, Korea, North Korea exists only because China led them to exist. And they are afraid that some changes are going to create a lot of uh, uh, immigration from North Korea to China and so on. So this mm. is one side. The other side is South Korea. I mean, it's very upsetting for North Korea to see how successful the South Koreans are. You know, it's just, it's just uh, amazing so far. And then the other side is America. And so 
that is a big issue in the world today. We cannot understand anything without understanding how people perceive America. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one little insight I want to give you, because I've you know, studied America for uh, more than half a century now. Uh, we, are, we are the best enemies, and they are, mm. we are the worst friends. Hmm. So Korea loves us to be the enemy. Why? Because we are the best enemies. You know, before invading Iraq, we announced on CNN all the details three months in advance on how many troops are going to be sent there, what are we going to do, what is our plan. <laughs> we show I mean, our cards, you right? Know, we, we, we are the best enemies. I mean, the Japanese, before Pearl Harbor, they didn't tell us what they were going to do. Mm. But we, we, we explain things in advance. You know, we, we even tell Mr. Putin, don't worry, we're not going to attack you. Oh, thank you. Or we said the same to Iran. Uh, don't worry, we're not going to attack you. I mean, we are the, we and, are the, we are the best enemies. Okay. And we're actually telling the truth where Putin is not. <laughs> <laughs> but but Putin, Putin is not like us. He's not the best enemy. He's a dangerous enemy. No, right. Exactly. So, so because of that, you know, the, the North Korea, they know we are the best enemy. They love to have us as enemy. We are the mm. best, you know. They, so um, that's the key issue. You cannot understand North Korea. This childish attitude cannot be understood because the, the parents, close to parents, which is China, America, and, uh, they, they allowed that to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one side cannot be understood without the other side. That's why the relation, the key element, that's why the Council of Cultural Relations is that we, we study the space in between. Wow. Well, we only have about two minutes left. So maybe in the next minute and a half, could you just let people know how they could perhaps support you with the Council of Cultural Relations? You know, you mentioned your book, Move Up. Is there anything else people could do? Yes, of course. We, we know this is uh, something that is very crucial for the future of, of, of this planet. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Buckminster Fuller used to say, planet Earth is the only uh, spaceship that has no pilot. And <laughs> I think it's time to have, to have pilots. And I, I think the culture on, on cultural relations has uh, a big ambition is to uh, regroup people that want to help to pilot this planet, to give a planet mm-hmm. a direction. And, and so uh, everybody that can help and can join are very welcome to join. They can look at my website on, on the Internet, or uh, we're going to have a website very soon on, on the, culture, uh, 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 you know, the Council on Cultural Relations, and they can join, of course. It's a non-profit organization with the purpose is to help cultures to understand, respect uh, each other, and to uh, work together for uh, a, a better world and to guide this planet in a better direction. Oh, well, thank you. And so we are out of time, Dr. Rapai. Thank you so much for being my guest today. My pleasure. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. And please go to archetypediscoveriesworldwide.com to learn more about Dr. Rapai's work. So next week, back by popular demand, my guest will be Ken Beller, thought leader, author, and president of Nearbridge Incorporated, a consulting firm that specializes in building intergenerational harmony. And we'll be discussing collaborative leadership, so you won't want to miss it. For a full description of this show and access to all past shows, please visit www.quantumbusinessinsights.com. I'm your host, Olivia Parrud, saying thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights, and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. 
Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week. We'll be right back. 